I am in the middle of preaching uh, on the Apocalypse, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and we are in the middle of that book. Chapter 13 is right about in the dead center of the book, and we are in the middle of the chapter of this book. And I have to say this, that this, you know, Joel Beakey, in one of his sermons, said something that I agree with wholeheartedly. He said, this is the most difficult chapter and the most difficult book. And so what I'm about to say today will be mixed with a variety of things of this. I will say, this is what the Word of God, this is what the Word of God says. Without doubt, it says this. But also, I'm going to say this, which is my opinion of what I think the Word of God says. You'll know the difference when I say it. I believe that there are times in which we cannot know specifically or exactly what an apocalyptic vision is about. And then as I was reading, I have a normal set of books that I read and normal people that I read and, and so on. And some have gotten to this part and they've just kind of skipped over it. They just kind of mention it. Some have gotten into a direction that they just went whole hog. It was like, this is exactly what it means. And it's going this and this. And, and, and movies have been made about this. You know, you're going you're gonna to see movies that has, a, you know, statues of the beast and they're going to start talking and all types of things and uh, fantastical things. But I'll just say this, that Sproul, one time I read where he says, if what you are saying has never been said before, it's most likely not true. However, when you get to a part of the Bible where all of the commentaries, they all come together and they write off in different directions then pretty much I don't know what else to do other than tell you what I think. And so I will try to give you biblical principles. And then I'm going to say this is what I think this means based upon biblical principles. So at the very least, take home these biblical principles. So let's begin with the doctrine. I want you to take this home with this in mind, from this part of the chapter, which is the last part of chapter 13, and I believe I can safely say for the entire chapter 13 of the book of the Apocalypse that this is true. Satan has a plan to destroy the people of God. I think without a doubt, we can at least pull that out of the text. Satan has a plan to destroy the people of God. I think this is very true. Satan has recruited and groomed helpers to aid him in carrying out his plan. There is the Antichrist, there is the false prophet, and there are those who have been marked by the beast. All of these are helpers to the beast to carry out his plan to destroy the people of God. I think that is biblical. I think that is what God's Word teaches us. And so we are in the middle of this chapter. Let's begin with our observations. We'll go right to the text and begin to read chapter 13, verse 11. I saw another beast rising up out of the earth, and it had two horns like a lamb, as it spake like a dragon. Now, this is in contrast to the last week's message about the first ten verses where we saw a beast rise up out of the sea. And this was a, 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 a huge beast, a, an awesome looking beast. It was terrifying. You know, it had the description of, you know, feet, it was like a leopard, feet like a, uh, were like the, a bear's, and it had all, you know, terrifying look. And yet now we have another beast coming out of the earth, and it looks like a lamb. It looks like a lamb with two horns, which is kind of 
interesting because lambs do not have horns. When they develop horns, they become sheep, okay? So if a lamb should have a horn, there'll be cute little nubs at the top, okay? As a matter of fact, it'll look like, oh, look, our lamb is growing up. Isn't that nice? And lambs are notoriously cuddly and harmless. A lamb. They, as a matter of fact, they say, that person is as gentle as a dragon? No, as gentle as a lamb. And yet this lamb had something unique about it, and that is it spake as a dragon. It spoke like a dragon. And so we are not to be confused by its look, by its appearance. <clears throat> what we are to see is the contrast that we have a beast that has been called the Antichrist. And if you want to say, well, why do we, are we sure that this is the Antichrist and this is the false prophet? You go to chapter 19 and you'll read that the beast that came up out of the sea, the Antichrist, and the beast that came up out of the earth, the false prophet, was thrown into the lake of fire. And so the revelation identifies it for us. There's no guesswork about this. This is exactly what the Word of God says. But what we want to see is the contrast where we have a huge, terrifying beast that has authority to rule governments. But we also have another beast that is as gentle as a lamb, and he speaks like a dragon. This is an amazing thing. So we have to understand that this is not a harmless animal. This is not a gentle animal. It only looks like one. It is really very dangerous. Number 12, verse number 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants work, worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Now we're going to get into the area where I know something is to be true based upon the word of God and also some areas that I think is true. I think is true. Number one, I know that this beast has authority. This is true. I want to remind you about the time when our Lord, before uh, that is, when he was baptized, he was driven into the wilderness. Not driven, but he went into the wilderness and was tempted of the devil. Remember that. Remember how he was hungry. He didn't eat for 40 days. He was hungry, and the devil said, Why don't you make these stones, turn them into bread? And of course, his response was, Oh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And so we see this great temptation. But the next thing the devil does, and let me read it to you out of Luke. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now I find it interesting that the Lord is revealed by the devil all the kingdoms in a moment of time as though to say not all the kingdoms at that time but all the kingdoms that shall come. In a moment of time he sees all the kingdoms. And the devil says this to him, All this power I will give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Now I'm going to assume that the devil isn't lying to the Lord. I think the Lord would know if he was lying. And God, even in this passage in the book of the Revelation, says that it was given to the beast. It was given to this beast. It was given the authority. And so he says, I will give them to thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. Well, we know that the Lord didn't accept that deal, did he? He says, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. We see the same scenario here. 
all that worship him, it shall be given to them. We have a beast rising up out of the sea of humanity. And they have taken up the devil on this deal. All that is given to the devil, he will give to them to reign as governments over the world. If they do what? If they worship him. And we now have another beast out of the earth. But this beast is not fearsome. It looks gentle. But his job is to get everyone else to honor and worship the beast. Who has been placed there by the devil, by the dragon. And the scriptures tell us all who worship this beast worship the dragon. That is the scenario we have. And so this lamb-like beast, who is unassuming, who is meek, who is appearing to be harmless, does have great authority. He has the same authority as the first beast, but he uses that authority to have all people worship the first beast. That is what he does. That he is the advocate of the first beast. And so we may say, well, doesn't anyone honor this? Well, yes. I'm sure that the second beast, the one that has been given the ability to influence people to have their hearts given to the first beast. You see, that is the idea of what should you learn in school? What should you learn in church? What should you learn from uh, universities? What is the ideology that is embraced by this world? When you turn on your TV set, who says, and this is the goodness of what this means, so on and so forth. We condemn this, we condone that. The beast has the ability to train up the hearts of the world to receive the beast as authoritative. So, verse number 13. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven in the front of the people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. <clears throat> now this is where I'm going to tell you what is biblical and what are my ideas. We know this for sure, that God sometimes allows his enemies to counterfeit his miracles. That is a fact. This is what happened when Moses went down to Pharaoh, and he was told, what do I do? Take your staff, throw it down. It became a serpent. Well, Pharaoh had his magicians. They threw down two staffs. They both became serpents. And what happens? Moses' serpent swallows up the Pharaoh's magician's serpents. We know that because God said he has given it to them. We also know that there's going to be great signs and wonders. And that this particular beast will be able to call down fire from heaven. Have we ever seen that before in the scriptures? Did we not go over what Elijah, or, you know, Elijah did on Mount Carmel, having the fire of God come down, consuming not only the altar, but the sacrifice and all the water, all these things? And it proved once and for all that God, Jehovah, was God and that the Baals were not. But that's not the only time he called down fire from heaven. <clears throat> Ahab and Jezebel sent out companies of soldiers to capture Elijah. <clears throat> they both uh, well, two companies of soldiers. The first one, 50 men and a captain. And this captain demanded, Elijah, you come with me. Elijah calls down fire from heaven, consumes him right there. Ahab and Jezebel sends another one, another company of soldiers. And arrogantly, the captain of that group says the same thing. 
Elijah calls down fire from heaven, consumes them. Well, another company is sent, and this time the captain humbles himself, lowers himself, bows down to Elijah. Please come. And Elijah goes. Now, this calling down of fire from heaven, it is an interesting thing that the beast from the, sea, from the earth calls down fire from heaven in the sight of men, but it destroys no one. It confirms it wants to be a sign that this beast should be listened to. This is an interesting fire. Sometimes when we look, now this is my idea. Sometimes when we see in the apocalypse, we see things that we have to interpret. <clears throat> when I think of fire, I think of warmth and I think of light. I think of the time when my heart, own heart would say, metaphorically, was warmed. Now when I read the scriptures and I feel the warmth of the spirit, I don't physically get hotter. I don't start sweating. I'm just saying that my heart seems to burn within me. And that the light is not going to make my eyes so bright that I want to blink. No, the light is the truth. And it enlightens my mind. And so when this beast has the ability to bring down fire from heaven that lightens up the whole sky, that everyone seems to have this, oh, did you feel that? I felt, I identify with that. Oh my goodness, I, I feel this is true. I, this is true. He can do that, and they have the ability to say, let me teach the minds of your children. Let me have the professors of your universities. Let me have the legislations of your governments. Let me be in your parliaments, and let me teach the people about how this world should be run. We need to get the Bible off the back of humanity. It has like been a plague and a monkey on the back of humanity since it began. We need to remove this. This type of teaching is going to ring true with the followers of the dragon. It's going to seem true. It's going to have that feel of rightness about it. This idea that this beast wants to set up an image. Here we see, by the signs that are allowed to work in the presence of that beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And again, I tell you, this is my idea. There seems to be, in the apocalypse, the idea that there is a sword. And whenever we read about the sword many times, it has to do with the sword found in the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power, the word of God. To be slain by the sword of the word is a blessed thing. I'm glad that God slayed my sin and that he came after me and that I was raised from the dead, that I was raised from spiritual death. Now, this beast was slain by a sword, but he seemed to revive. Now, if this is a, an antichrist government, then I would say if it's slain by the word, then that government is now supporting the gospel in Christ. And it is suppressing the plans of the devil. And when it recovers, it says, what was I thinking? We need to recover from this religious control. We need to take the word of God, remove it from our schools. We need to take the scriptures, remove it from our courts. We need to take Christ and eliminate him from the families of our nation. That's what this government is going to do. And what do they do? They set up an image. Now, when it comes to image, this is another one of my ideas. But I'm going to give you scriptural proof of why I think this. When we look at the word image and we start to go into the New Testament and we look into the epistles of Paul, we can understand <clears throat> that we have been taught, even in the law itself, 
Do not make an image of any god. Don't fashion it. Don't form it. Don't put it up and say, you, you know, this is my God that delivered me out of Egypt. Don't do that. Don't look and say, this is that God. Why? Men were made in the image of God and we fell and we have a defaced image. However, Christ came and he is said to be the expressed image of God. Not to be seen with the eyes, but to be seen with the heart. He is the expressed image of God and that this image, this is the image that when Paul said that Christ might be formed in me. Do you see that this image has to do with having Christ in us, that we should be like him in character, like him in love, like him in uh, his, his, his adoring of his own father, doing the will of his father, all these things. We need to be like him. When people see us, they should say, he's like a little Christ. That's what they used to call Christians in the early church. They're like little Christs. Like him. They work, they talk like him. They act like him. They have the sameness of spirit. And when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us conviction of sin, but also a leaning toward accepting the truth, something that the natural man does not do. And we have that image placed within us where the, the power of God's love impresses upon our hearts an image of Christ. Then that image is, it is it's given life. We have the life of God within us. But now we have a beast. He sets up an image and it says that this beast breathes life into this image. I don't know about you, but it looks awfully similar to what God does. He's like, like Satan is like an ape imitating what God does. You've got the Antichrist, you've got the false prophet, and you have the dragon. What an, un, what an unholy trinity that is. An Antichrist that's against Christ, an un, you know, a, a false prophet that's against the word of God, and the dragon that is in the place of God himself. And here we have an image that wants to be stood up and, be, and says, I want this image to live. But it is the image of the dragon. And the, prof, the false prophet wants to put into the hearts and minds the false teachings of heresies, human, humanistic ideas, atheistic ideas, all the ideas, any idea that isn't Christ-like, that isn't the truth. And then they will enable people to look at the Antichrist and say, you know, I got something that clicks with him. It just seems right to me. And I think that we should, they, say, they start getting that warm feeling within them, that heat within them. They start to identify with the light and the fire that comes down from heaven. And then they serve God with, I mean, they serve the dragon with their hearts. They serve sin. They practice sin. And they become the servants of sin. And they serve the dragon. Now, a lot of that was my idea. But the principles behind putting me in that position are not. They are from Scripture. You need to consider that. Satan duplicates that. Now, it could be that this image is just like it has in the movies where someone builds a statue in, on the steps of the Capitol building or maybe puts a great big statue on the foot of the Vatican in Rome or maybe one in, in you know, Moscow or something, and then uh, the false prophet kind of 
makes him come alive and, you know, and, and he starts to speak. I suppose that could happen. I don't think it will. I think that this is a mimic of how God works within us. This is a duplication of what God has done with us. Now, with that, <clears throat> the Antichrist has a people, and we're going to see that at the end of this chapter, that will bear his image, bear his mark, and these people will fight against those who bear the image of Christ. Those who bear the image of the dragon, those who bear the image of Christ, and this image over here, they'll have it within their hearts to destroy these people, to kill the people who have the mark of the lamb who was slain. So with this, let's go to verse number 15. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And so it is important here to see that in the KJV it says uh, that it gives life, but in the ESV it says to give breath. Now when I think of these things, I, I more or less re reminds me of how, uh, how Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God brooded over the chaos. His Spirit, He breathed over the chaos and He created. Also, the way the Word of God is described as being given to us. It is God-breathed. God breathed his spirit into the word. And this is how we receive the truth. And so the very idea that God has breathed his breath into us, indwelling us with his Holy Spirit, is similar, and this is my idea, similar to the idea that the false prophet will breathe into the image. It breathes into the image by teaching people false gods, false doctrines, heresies, humanism, atheism, all these type of things that find their answers to life's hard questions in any place but Jesus Christ. And it gives them the ability to identify and to, and to have this image live within them. That's my idea. Verse number 16. Also it causes both small and great and rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on their right hand and on their forehead, that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark of the beast, that is, the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, I've heard all my life, when I was a young man, you know, when I was, you know, just a small toddler and going up in high school and this and that, that one day uh, the government's going to put a mark on me like a barcode or insert into me like a, a chip like you would a dog and that this would be the mark of the beast. So whatever you do, don't take the mark of the beast, because if you get the mark of the beast, you'll have to get your head cut off to get saved. It's like, okay, that's a good deal. But I never really studied it, I just listened. But I want you to consider this, that this particular mark, this image that is to be placed is on their forehead and on their hand. And this is the very same image that God puts upon his people except it's the image of his son. Do you see, this is an apocalyptic vision that must be interpreted. And this is to be given not just to the small, not to the great, because if you look at this world, what divides people in this world? Well, we have the powerful and we have those that are not. That's kind of a division. We have those that are rich and those that are poor. It's kind of division. Why do we even have wars among our people? 
Well, we have the have and the have-nots. We have those that are free and those that are slaves. But somehow, in this case, all these divisions disappear. There seems to be a unity and a camaraderie of all people, whether they're small or great, rich or poor, powerful or not. They all join hands with this one thing, that we should get rid of this Christ and that we should do war with his people. Because it's about time we take the leash off of our neck, get the monkey off of our back. It almost destroyed us, and now we need to get rid of it. There is going to be a war against the word of God and against his people that we will be destroyed in body off of this world. Because it'll feel and seem right to do to the people who have the mark of the beast upon their minds and hearts and upon the things that they do with their hands. You know what people think and believe by what they do. You can see it on their hands. You can see it on their, in their eyes, what they love, what they have passion for. People will have passion for doing the will of their father, the devil. It'll be a burning passion. It'll be a passion that'll flame. It'll be an intense love. They serve as a willing slave to their master. And this is what it's going to look like. Verse number 16. It also causes all small, and I think I read that already, but let's read it again. It also causes small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to be marked with their, with their hand and on their forehand, that no one should buy or sell unless he has this mark, that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now with that in mind, how are they going to war against us? Well, they could kill us and they will. They could enslave us and they will. But for the most part, they want, to not make, they want to make sure that we cannot have provision. We cannot buy and sell. We cannot have what we need. Not only will they attack and starve the body, but they will also starve the soul. No longer will the word of God be available. No longer will they allow us to assemble. They will remove everything that supports Christ in us. That's their mission. That's what they want to do. And if it isn't done now, it will be accomplished in the future. Now, the next verse is very interesting. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who understands, uh, and with, has, who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man. And his number is 666. You know, this, is, this has probably been in more movies than you can count, you know, you can shake a stick at, really. I mean... Had, you, know, you have movies with Gregory Peck, you have movies with this and that. You have all kinds of movies where, you know, uh, little children have this mark and, you know, it, it makes for, for, uh, for great Halloween movies if you want to do that type of thing, which I don't. But the idea of this number is so fascinating. I was reading Matthew Henry and I was reading John Gill on this. John Gill you know, has a very long, lengthy paragraph about a book that he read, written in 16, the early 1600s. And so I looked this book up. It was a fascinating book. And... Um, it went through calculations of taking 666 and taking the square root of it and manipulating this and this. And, and John Gill said, this is a fascinating read, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's really, I said, interesting. I found it online, by the way. I downloaded it and it's really fascinating. It's written in Old English, hard to read. But I read Matthew Henry. You know what Matthew Henry said? He put one line in his commentary about this book. Same book. He said, quite entertaining. So we can see that even back then, commentaries and people that read the Bible, that love the Bible, wrote off in all different directions. 
Not everyone knows what this means. However, I listened to a sermon by Joel Beacon. He referenced another man um, that had to do with, um, William, well, he was, his name was William Hendrickson. And, I, and I've downloaded his book, too, and it's quite good, More Than Conquerors. I recommend it, by the way, if you want to read it. But, but William Hendrickson says it like this. He says it, no matter what you do with the number six, it'll never be seven. Well, that's kind of a simple idea, isn't it? But you see, when it comes to understanding, you know, seven seems to be God's number of completion. It's like the seven spirits of God went out into all the earth. Remember that in the first vision? And that seems to be the number that says it is the completeness of God's spirit. Now, what about six? It just never quite gets there. It never quite becomes seven. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration here. This illustration uh, resides nowhere else. I made this one up. I hope it's going to be okay. hope it's not inappropriate. My wife is always afraid I might say inappropriate things in here. But this, you know, when I was a young man, there was a, a story came out, a book written by, a, by an author by the name of Robin Cook. Uh, you don't, may not know who that is, but Robin Cook was a trained physician. He was a medical doctor. He decided to write a novel. The novel, the, the book is called Coma. You may, uh, may, may know about it, you may not know about it, but it's a very interesting story. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is that it has a gimmick in it. And I thought that this gimmick reminded me a lot of how man seems to be filled with something that just isn't enough. You know, he's filled with something he shouldn't be filled with. He should be filled with something else. And so this story has centers around, you know, some awful, terrible bad guys. They're all doctors. You see, Robin Cook was a doctor. He knew about doctors and so on. So he wrote a story about bad doctors. And these doctors would take healthy patients and they would put them in surgery and kill them and then sell their organs. I know that sounds awful. Well, it is. It was an awful story about bad men doing bad things. But I found that the gimmick that he put into it that only a doctor could understand. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an interesting thing. And the way the doctors would kill these patients would be when they go under anesthesia, anesthesia that he would not put oxygen in the mask over their face. He would put carbon monoxide in it. And the reason they did that is that the anesthesiologist would check to see how well the patient's doing. And they would look at the color of the blood. As long as the blood was bright red, that meant that they were getting lots of oxygen. Everything's good. But the carbon monoxide kept the blood bright red, but they were starving of oxygen, and then they would die. And then all these free organs you could sell in the market. And so the idea here is that the blood was given something that was just like oxygen. But you see, when the iron in your blood cells meets with oxygen, the gas, which is O2, it attaches to the, to the iron in your blood cells. And then it's a very weak attachment, but it carries it around your bodies and your cells can just snatch that oxygen right off and use it. That's how the oxygen is delivered. But when carbon monoxide is used, you have a carbon atom and an oxygen atom together and it binds with the iron 200 times tighter. There's a triple bond there to where the blood cell grabs onto that oxygen and never lets go so that the blood is filled with oxygen the body cannot use because it can't get it off. It just sticks there. 
And when I think of what the, what the false prophet is doing to us and to the world, is that they give heresies and false ideas and lies that the world, it just sticks to them hard. They can't break it off. And they get filled up with all these wrong ideas and they won't let go of them. They won't let go of them. And they're filled with their own ideas. They're filled with their own worldly wisdom. They cannot listen to the wisdom of God because they just won't let go of their own. And they die of lack of truth. They die because they're filled with sixes and they have, not no, they have, they have no room for the seven. They have no room for God anymore. They're filled. They have, their, their human evil nature is their own demise where they want to seek after the truth. And when they find something that resonates within them, they say, this is it, this is it. Get rid of the Bible. Get rid of these teachers. Get rid of all this. Get rid of all that. We just need to get rid of God. And then we'll be safe. Why does it work like that? Because it just latches onto them. Their affinity, their ability to hold on to lies is much, it's a tremendous strength of sin. They are servants of sin. Servants of sin. So I do have some applications with this. I do have two that I'd like to give you. And so, you know, what is the mark of the beast? And they say, the mark is, is number. Don't try to... In my opinion, it's not a puzzle to figure out. You know, that's what Beaky says. It's not a puzzle. And so I'm going to use his words. It's a good idea. This is not a puzzle to figure out. This is something that you have to see what is obvious before your eyes. And take the obvious truth and use that. Because there are things that we need to know. Things that we need to know. And I'll say it this way. God gives us what we need to know. God gives us what we need to know. Now, the first application is this. We would benefit by simply recognizing the fact that the devil has a design and a plan to destroy us. Just knowing that is going to help us. Just knowing that. We need to understand that God could have told us all these details. But instead, he tells us everything we need to know from the time he ascends to the time he comes back in 22 short chapters. Just that little tiny book. And even in this little tiny chapter, chapter 13, you know, uh, there's only, what, 18 verses. 17 verses. Just in that short amount of time, he tells us what we need to know. The devil has got a target on you, and he has a plan to destroy all the people of God. We need to understand that knowing this is something like saying, Behold, I have told you beforehand. Be prepared. Be prepared. Now, with this in mind, I want you to consider this. There is a plan that devil has to destroy you. I want you to think of this. What does it look like when the devil's winning? And what does it look like when the devil's losing? Or what does it look like when the Lord is winning? And what does it look like when the Lord is losing? If there even is such a thing. I would say this. It appears that the devil, the devil is losing when Christ is glorified and honored throughout the world, especially among a group of people. Especially in a government. Especially when a government says, you know, why don't we put on our own coins in God, we in God we trust? Why don't we do that? Why don't we put the Ten Commandments right in our courts? 
then this looks like, well, the devil's losing here, isn't it? It looks as though the word of God comes against this, this organization that's really designed to be anti-Christ, and yet it seems to just, just wound it to death. But now is the time in which it's recovering, isn't it? It looks as though Satan is losing when governments and the personal lives of people are actually governed, not by the government, but by the word of God. It's the word of God that governs them. It looks like the devil is losing when the gospel is clearly understood and preached. That's what it looks like when the devil is losing. And what does it look like when the devil succeeds, when he's starting to win? What does it look like? When the devil looks like he's winning, he will look like he has successfully erased Christ from history, and he will prevent his worship in this present time. All of a sudden, the history books start presenting Christ in a different light. You know, before, they, they presented him in an honoring way. Now, now they just, they just, they don't even, they don't, they no longer divide the time where they say before Christ, after Christ. Now it's something else. Something completely different. It'll look like he's winning when they try to destroy and to minimize all believers who try to advance the cause of Christ. All those that hold for Jesus Christ, the Lord God, he's come in the flesh, he's died for sinners, and they minimize you. It seems to though Dragon is winning when actually everything you've ever stood for seems to be glorified. Glorified. It seems as though even the most wickedness of sin must be tolerated and sometimes even approved of. Churches are attacked by saying, well, what do you think of this? Oh, I see, you're a hater. I see, you want to say this about this group of people. You cannot say that. We'll put your preachers in prison. That's what it looks like when the devil starts to win. Well, what does it look like when the lamb looks like he's losing? And to me, I'd have to say this. I think this definition really is undefined. I don't think that the lamb can lose. And therefore, when his people are informed, it, he'll never look like he's losing if we are properly informed. Now, the world may think he's losing. The world may think he's not getting the job done. But I will say this. In what appears to be his failures is actually the greatest successes of our Lord. Let's just say, for example, well, missionaries and the Bible is kicked out of a country. Well, that's when the word of God becomes more precious to them. And those people are willing to even suffer for his sake. People in China, people in Iraq, people in Iran, they suffer for the word of God and they do it willingly. And it's a great work and it's a great thing that glorifies Christ. So what does it look like when the lamb is really successful? When, he, when, when I'll say, when everyone looks like he's successful. To have believers glorify God when the entire world hates you and hates your Savior. If you glorify God in your life while at the same time the world hates you for it, I'm telling you, that's exactly what victory looks like. Because that's what we're going to be enduring. To have believers embrace the love of God, to embrace Christ, to embrace a lifestyle of righteousness and holiness, to live a holy life, to serve righteousness, to be a servant of righteousness. When, on the other hand, they could profit from wickedness, but they don't. They choose not to. They choose their, their master.
So if you can see, even when Satan appears to be winning, he is actually losing. As a matter of fact, you can say, when Satan appears to be having his greatest victory, we know he's having his greatest defeat. I want to give you an example of that. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the apostles preaching Christ in the temple. And people from the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees came and they took them and they brought them before their council and said, didn't we tell you never to preach in this man's name again? And they said, we have to obey God rather than man. And so one of their leaders said, well, look, if it's God, we can't fight it. But if it isn't God, it'll just die away. And so they decided to let them go. But it, it was worded like this. They beat them and then let them go. And let me read the words to you. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his sake. And immediately, in the daily, in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, it looks like the devil's winning, but I'm telling you, it looks like the Lord's winning. Even in the midst of this violence, these people stand up and preach Christ. Now, one more application. It won't take long. We would benefit from even recognizing that the devil has his plan, but also we should recognize that the devil has his helpers. The devil does have his helpers. The Antichrist. Even though governments rise up against us, they're no match for Christ. Even though the false prophet rises up and changes the hearts and minds of all the people, that's not going to conquer Christ. Even though people take the image of the dragon and embrace it in their own hearts and they live for the glory of evil, that cannot conquer Christ. We have Christ and his word. The means of grace cannot be defeated. The gospel will have its way. We don't have to picket and march and overthrow governments. No, 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 no. No, the word of God should be preached. That is the power. That shows Christ. It shows him in his power. It shows him in his, his work. He is truly the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And his people follow him wherever he goes. And to preach Christ is to win. Though he slay us, yet will we trust in him. Do you see that all the things that were given to the devil for Job has been given to the devil for us? And we must live as Job. Endure unto the end. Endure unto the end. Love Christ. Embrace the beauty of God. Satan has a plan to destroy the people of God. But God has an infinitely better plan to save his people. And Christ has and will continue to destroy the works of the devil and all those who help him. The Antichrist and the false prophet and all those who have the mark of the beast are his helpers. But Christ and his word will have the victory. We will be determined to be servants of righteousness and follow our lamb wherever he goes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we now ask that you would be with your people. O Lord Jesus Christ, you are the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. We thank you for dying for our sins. And we will follow you wherever you lead us. We pray, Lord, that your word might be lifted up, that the gospel be made clear. Every church in this world preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray, receive our worship. You are the one who should be glorified. May every eye be cast upon you. 
May every heart repent from their sins, embrace the freeness of your salvation, the imputed righteousness given to us, how you and when you paid our debt and paid for our sins. We love you, Lord Jesus. Be with us. Receive our worship. We pray in our Lord's name. Amen.